It's Wednesday, September 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Kopenheffer, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Maddie Argus. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having me. We were just talking before, and I mentioned that watching CNBC this morning, very nice uh, uh, tribute moment of silence on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange before the opening bell uh, in memory of uh, this day 12 years ago. Um, we're going to talk Apple. We're going to talk telecom. We are going to talk retail advertising. Um, but let's start with a story that we touched on yesterday. But, uh, Matt Copenheffer, I know you, you feel very passionate about this. And this is the Dow, the Dow Jones Index, the swapping out of Alcoa, Hewlett Packard, and Bank of America, and switching in Goldman Sachs, Nike, and Visa. That really must have struck a blow because you're a big Bank of America guy. So I know that you're you were personally upset by this. <laughs> I, I, I was I was personally personally affronted. I felt that the Dow the Dow people are out to get me. Now, if if you if you needed a good reminder of exactly why you should pay no attention whatsoever to the Dow index, this was it. And it, Matt was actually asking b- before the show what I thought about Goldman Sachs being added in. And, and it, it makes no sense. Goldman Sachs is not representative. Goldman Sachs, if you were to pick out a re- representative You're saying it's not industrial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very, oh, it's very industrial. Yeah. If you were to pick out a, a representative group of 30 American stocks, Goldman Sachs would not be one of them. But here's here's why this works out. Bank of America stock was trading at $15. Alcoa's $8. Hewlett Packard's $22. Visa, 186, Goldman Sachs, 164, and Nike, 67. You notice the difference? One group of stocks has much higher share prices, and that's why they did this. They swapped out low-priced stocks for high-priced stocks. It just it boggles my mind. So I, I have a question. So, but you know, I feel bad. You know, what I feel bad for I, Bank America. It's hurtful, um, but I feel bad for Alcoa because you know it's like going into every earnings season. I feel like we're not going to talk about Alcoa anymore. Well, they still get to go first in earnings, but they don't, you know. It just doesn't have the same prominence, so it's not the first Dow component yeah. that reports earnings. They, they need to really hang on to that number one spot in earnings season, because they've got nothing else. No, they really do. It's also, just on a serious note, though, why do you think, because increasingly people have made the point that you just made, which is, look, the Dow Jones really just isn't representative. The index is not representative. How do you think it has maintained its cachet over the years? Because once upon a time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was a very important index. And it seems like what we pay attention to here at The Motley Fool and others as well is much more of the S&P 500. That's mm-hmm. much more representative. It seems to me that if nothing else, the Dow Jones has a heck of a lot of brand strength. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was it was early. It, it got itself uh, first mover advantage. Yeah, exactly, and and it's held on ever since. Strange. Well, and I think it's also it's just thirty stocks, which again makes it much even much less representative of anything. But it just changes so little over the years, and so many companies are, are there for for decades. And so it, it, it's like when when something like this happens, it's a big deal, and it, and it just kind of reinforces the the strength that the Dow has in everyone's mind. As an index over time. Let's move on to Apple. Shares down around 6% this morning. We taped yesterday's market foolery before Apple's event. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, we now know that there were absolutely no surprises. They unveiled the 5S, faster processing speed, etc., the 5C, the cheaper option, the different colors, etc., etc. To the extent that there was a surprise, Maddie, it seems like the surprise is there was no deal with China Mobile. Yes. 
I think that's that's a big <laughs> surprise. I, I think and a, min, a minor surprise might relate to that. Might also been the fact that the five the five C is not actually that much cheaper than the new five S. I think on an, without the contract, it's about a hundred dollars cheaper. Um, which, if you're thinking about, okay, you know, can, is Apple going to come out with a phone that really can appeal to emerging markets like China, where the per capita GDP is somewhere around five thousand dollars? Yeah. But the phone, the five C, is still around um, five hundred bucks, and so it's you know, it's, you're asking someone to pay ten percent of their annual uh, income potentially for this phone. So I think that was a bit of a surprise. But yes, yeah, the China mobile deal, and I think this is the reason why it, Apple's getting uh, downgraded a few times uh, by a few uh, Wall Street firms today is really is just. They've, they've cleared a hurdle to be able to sort start selling the iPhone in China on China Mobile's network, but they were looking for that carrier deal, which would really have kind of exploded the um, uh, sales of, of the iPhone. But it, it's not not happened yet. It seems like Apple is now very much in the image of its CEO. Tim Cook made his bones as a top-notch operator. He was the chief operating officer. He was a, a channels guy, a logistics guy. And when you look at what Apple is now, Matt, it seems like it is very much an operator. That's what they're doing. They are moving different versions of the iPhone to different markets, upgrades, etc. But I don't know. It, it, it seems like it is just completely, the era of Steve Jobs is now completely over because even leading into this event, for the first time in my memory, there was no serious discussion whatsoever in the media or elsewhere of what do you think the surprise is going to be? And in some ways, that's a little sad that, that mm, Apple yeah. is now at that point where no one is at all surprised that there are no surprises. Here's here's an interesting thing. I was uh, reading Jim Collins' book, Great by Choice, over the weekend, and he talks a little bit about Apple's transformation under Jobs back to sort of its prominence. And I think we it's easy to think about all the innovation that happened under Jobs, but the first thing that he did was to get all of the basics back under control get the balance sheet in the right place get the get the operations in the right. right place and it was only then that they tried this little experiment called the the iPod which sort of then cascaded into all these other innovations so being a really good solid operator with a super strong balance sheet i mean th- there's a lot of there's a lot of um, it, it's a platform that apple can continue to use to to get those innovations. I mean, if you're not there to play in the first place, if you don't have the financial strength, if you don't have the solid right. operations, but you're right. It's it's been Apple's Apple stock in particular, and that's as opposed to the company has right. been sizzle for uh, a lot of years now, and that sizzle is kind of disappearing. Right. It's a 420 billion dollar company that is profitable. Mm-hmm. It is not going anywhere. But I think it's perfectly legitimate now to ask the question: Is the stock going anywhere? Well, what I think you can take away from from the last uh, couple of days is the the sales might not be going anywhere in the short term the, you know we're not we probably won't see a lot of top line growth from apple but we will see we're going to see a lot of profitability i mean they, what the moves they are making are certainly protecting margin i mean really going you know staying at the high end of the smartphone market that's going to bring a, you know it's going to bring in a lot of cash and i will point out something interesting after today's sell off the the stock is actually below uh, where Icon, Carl Icon, tweeted famously about a month ago saying that he was a big, you know, big into the stock. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see what the Icon might do uh, in the next few days in order to get Apple maybe to buy back more stock. But so that's that's something else interesting. But I can get the Apple iPhone 5S now in gold. Right. Just saying. Oh, hey. Just saying. It's it's. Who says they're it, not innovating? I mean, come you on. Get it in gold. 
I really am surprised, though, that from a communication standpoint, the China Mobile deal, I look at that and I think, wow, that's, I look at that as a legitimate blunder because among the many things that Apple did so well for so long was they really managed expectations, they managed the communications, and it seemed like this China Mobile expectation was, they allowed that to happen for a few weeks to the point where when they didn't announce, oh, yes, we have a deal with China Mobile and there's 700 million subscribers, I just look at that and I thought, wow, if they knew they weren't going to have that, why didn't someone knock that rumor down? Right. I mean, really, they, they had the whole street and everyone convinced that that was in the bag, I think. And that was, yeah, that was the big surprise, certainly coming out of um, last night. Verizon is launching the largest corporate bond in history. The deal totals $49 billion dollars. For context, the previous record was seventeen billion by Apple. By Apple, yes. Uh, um, uh, Matt, you and I were talking about this earlier this morning. I'm not a Verizon shareholder, but the sheer size of this would worry me if I were. I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of taking on a whole ton of debt. Forty nine billion yeah, dollars worth of debt. Forty nine billion. This this will basically this is for double. Vodafone, right? This is so we you know so we Verizon can. Buy out, the, yeah, the, the buy out the wireless. wireless. Yeah, so I guess it's it's a nice asset to hold in its entirety. I, th- they've talked about strategic rationale for why they're doing it. I'm not really sold on it, and I'm I'm certainly not sold on the idea of doubling their 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 debt in order to do it. I think people tend to think of the telecom carriers now as as utilities. They're not public utilities. They're they're close, but they're not there, and so. Having a hundred percent of your equity in debt is—I just don't think ideal. Uh, I tell you who should be happy here, though. The the lead underwriters on this debt deal are Barclays, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, J.P. Morgan, <laughs> the banks always and win. Morgan Stanley. There you go. They're going to be raking it in because they're going to be getting a lot of fees from this forty-nine billion dollar debt deal. If you are AT&T, what are you thinking as you watch all of this play out? Uh, on some level, are they looking at this and thinking, hey, good luck. If you can make this work, great. But if, uh, but we like our cards better than your cards. Uh, I, I think it, I think it amps up the financial risk for Verizon. But from AT&T's perspective, I'm not sure it changes a whole lot from the competitive perspective. Uh, I think Verizon is still comp- Verizon Wireless is still competitively positioned a little bit better than than AT and T, so they still have catching up to do. I wonder though if you know just um, and I, I don't follow the telecom space very closely, but just the size of this deal, and I, I think and I I don't recall exactly, but it was pretty oversubscribed as well, it I think was, well yeah. beyond the forty nine billion. What is that? What, I wonder what that means for a lot of other large companies who are saying, "Gosh, you know, if there's an appetite for that amount of debt." Right now, yes. I hey, I'm going to market. I mean, I you know, if I, I didn't realize I could raise ten billion, twenty billion, thirty billion in debt, especially at the rates the way they are today, um, as low as they are, it might we might see some more kind of we might see some levering up by, across a lot of industries. Well, and as we talked about last week with LinkedIn with their secondary offering, I think that we may see more of this where companies across a range of industries, if they feel like they have the strength on the balance sheet to lever up and get even more money, they're going to do it. Sure. sure. Well, for, for a lot of companies, it's a very different situation because Verizon legitimately didn't have the cash to do, to do right. a deal like this. But 
far and wide for, for a lot of companies, the problem is too much cash on the balance sheet and having no idea what to do with it. Um, so putting that cash to work, so mm. it's not necessarily taking on more debt, but, but doing something with that cash, preferably not something stupid, like a big acquisition. At least this big acquisition <laughs> makes sense. Uh, most of the time, acquisitions of this size are just disastrous. So uh, you don't think Verizon said we could do this or we could pay by McDonald's. Nine billion for Nokia. <laughs> we could outbid Microsoft for Nokia. Oh yeah, that would that would have been wonderful. Uh, Kmart has set a new record. This is according to the good people at AdAge, uh, but I'm not sure it's a record to necessarily be proud of. Um, Kmart has apparently set the record for the earliest holiday ad. A uh, hundred five days before Christmas. This started yesterday, Monday the tenth. Kmart was airing television commercials, which, by the way, for some kids in this country, yesterday was the first, or I'm sorry, Monday was the first day of school. Um, and, uh, yeah, and there, Kmart is airing ads for Christmas. Uh, Kmart, part of the Sears Holding Corporation. I don't know. The holiday creep, is it getting, is, am I getting to be a cranky old man or is it really getting worse year, uh, every year? It seems like it's getting worse. I think, I, I, I think our, our colleague and a frequent Motley Foolery, Jason Moser, um, he said it perfectly in a tweet this morning. He said, first, my first thought was, Kmart, you have no shame. My second thought was, Kmart still exists? <laughs> still around? <laughs> Which I, anyway. We even saw this with, uh, you know, I don't want to just pick on Kmart. Starbucks rolling out the the, the pumpkin spice latte early. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I don't know. It's never too early to roll out. <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. It is never too early to roll out the pumpkin spice so, latte. So, on, on a, a slightly more serious note, is this one of those things that ultimately you think has the potential to change people's behavior, or is it something that people just sort of roll their eyes at? And it's not necessarily going to change their behavior in terms of their shopping preferences, uh, but you know, to to the extent that it is damaging, it is, I don't know, maybe a little bit of brand damage. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you rolling out your your Christmas commercials this early? Why are you rolling? By the way, uh, today it's going to come close to hitting a hundred degrees here in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. So the whole notion not of exactly the, pu- the Christmas spirit or or or, or for my taste, the pumpkin spice latte, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think that there's any serious risk there or is it, or if you're Kmart, is there no downside to a move like this? I, I think th- there are people, there are people at Kmart that I'm sure are, are, I'm positive, are way smarter than me when it comes to marketing. But from my, from my limited outsider's perspective, it just seems like th- these are marketing dollars that could be better spent in other ways. It, it just, I don't know that anybody is thinking about Christmas yet and getting that head start of saying, oh, well, we were we were advertising this back. Nobody cares if you were advertising it back in September. They, they're going to be shopping when they're shopping. So advertise now for stuff. I, I think you could probably still get mileage out of back to school type of ads and that sort of thing. I, I just think it's, it's marketing money that could be better spent elsewhere. And when you look at the results that Sears Holdings has had, for its, for its retail, everybody's still a little excited about that whole yeah. real estate thing going on there. But the retail has been horrible, and and this doesn't this doesn't convince me that they've they've got any sort of better strategy going. That does uh, you do raise a, a good point, and and it, I think it's a good reminder, regardless of what company you own stock in. Every once in a while, stepping back and looking at a company, and a lot of times looking at the CEO and saying. How is this person doing in terms of allocating resources? How is this 
company doing when it comes to spending? What are they spending money mm-hmm. on? Do I think they're spending it wisely? Um, particularly in an era when, as you said, Maddie, hey, you can you, you can raise a billion dollars in the blink of an eye if you've got the, the strength <laughs> on the balance sheet. Right. I mean, one thing one thing to look at that investors can look at is you know you look at a company's SG&A expense and look at. I'm sorry. What? Oh God. <laughs> Selling general administrative, it you know includes salaries, but it also includes marketing expense. Um, and it's, it's it's on the income uh, income statement. Look at that as a percentage of revenue. Um, and what you'll see is if that if that percentage continue you know creeps up over time, um, which it does if a company is either a paying its uh, executives too much or it's it's spending on marketing where it's not exactly getting a huge bang for the buck, that's a clear sign. And you know I've never I haven't looked at Sears in a long time, but I, I I'd imagine that given that we know the struggles at the retail uh, the retail level that their their top line results have not kept up with their spending on SGNA. Is SGNA one of those things that you need to figure out what type of company? You're looking at, and by that I mean, if it's a smaller company, if it's in growth mode, we're going to forgive them if their SG&A creeps up. But if they're a more established company like a Sears Holdings, then you, it becomes worrisome. Well, you know, I think if you, if as long as you're comparing, as long as you're keeping track of both revenue and SG&A, and in other words, SG&A is a percentage of revenue, it can really cut across a lot of industries because you know you're, you're essentially you're just measuring dollar per you know dollar invested in in. Uh, overhead dollar invested in marketing versus dollar on the top line, and over time, that's going to give you a pretty good indication of a company's efficiency. See, and our listeners thought we were just going to make fun of Kmart SGNA <laughs> spending. Yeah, oh, breaking, hey. breaking down SGNA spending. Can we get back to making fun of Kmart? <laughs> that's right. oh, I'm going to go buy some Christmas ornaments this weekend. <laughs> Matt Argusinger, Matt Copenhagen, for guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Ann Henry helping us out behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah.